everybody. It's Allie and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, October 20th, 2019. It's the perfect Halloween time story. The demon seed of Adam and Chelsea. I love this. I am ready to see Connor set Genoa Junction on fire. <laughs> this is so great. I mean, it's awful, but it's so great. <laughs> I'm evil. On Friday, Connor locked little Christian all alone inside of Nick's deep, dark, scary garage. <laughs> because Connor said that Christian was being whiny. <laughs> okay, let's be fair. Christian is a little whiny. He is constantly whining about how his mother's dead. He has no mother. And Connor's dad, Adam, told him a couple of times that he was his real dad. And whining constantly about that time he had to go live with Aunt Victoria for a month. And now he's whining about how that Weird lady Sharon keeps showing up and sometimes calls him Sully. Wine, 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 wine. That's all the kid ever does. <laughs> Just saying. No, I mean, obviously, this is awful. It's a good story, though, right? Connor's acting out. He misses his father. He doesn't know where to place all of these feelings. The kid is screwed up. He's acting out at home. There was a point where we saw Connor run off to his room and he broke a lamp and pretended that it was an accident. Ooh, that was a bad sign. And then it progressed. He started acting out at school. He got into a fight with another kid said it was because the kid was saying something about Adam and his dad, but Connor instigate the, instigated the physical fight. Chelsea and Nick do not know what to do. I have to tell you, though, my whole body lit up with laughter when Nick sat Connor down and told him that it is never okay to get into a physical Fight. It is never okay to put your hands on another person because then you become the bad guy. Wait a minute! This is all that Nick has done for years. Years! Nick was the guy who just stomped right into a scene, punched somebody, and left. This is who he has been. He's famous for it. And here he is telling Connor not to raise fists. Okay. <laughs> I, 
I do feel for Chelsea and Nick not knowing how to reach Connor. Nick's suggestion for Connor talking to Sharon is only going to take him so far. Although I have to side note here and say, I do really like the work that Sharon has done with Connor. She is so natural. She is so warm. I loved how she brought a set of building blocks so that they could play together as she talked to him and tried to draw some information out of him. Sharon did a wonderful job. It seemed like she was Almost a little bit sort of close to reaching Connor. But then Chelsea comes into the scene. Connor blows up, runs off, and Chelsea becomes terrified. Chelsea is realizing for the very first time that she sees glimmers of Adam in Connor. Oh, yes, the horns are starting to form. As the situation escalated, Chelsea realized that the only thing that is going to heal her son is tracking down Adam, dragging him back to Genoa City, and forcing him to face what's going on with Connor and help her with what's going on with Connor. Nick didn't like it. Nick, though, begrudgingly offered to go to Las Vegas and drag Adam back on her behalf so that she didn't have to go, so that she could stay with Connor. And it's clear that Nick did not want to do this. He did not want this to be the solution. So I don't know what makes Nick think that he, of all people, is going to be able to convince Adam to come back to town for Connor's sake. But he seems to. Phyllis was the one who gave Chelsea Adam's phone number. She gave Chelsea the means to reach Adam. And he's not answering his phone, of course. It's going straight to voicemail. I love, by the way, how a man who doesn't want to be found is going around Vegas using an alias, Spider, has a voicemail greeting that says, Hi, this is Adam Newman. Please leave a message after the beep. Beep! (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But Chelsea tried just calling Adam. He didn't answer the phone. Even Connor tried calling Adam. When Connor realized that Chelsea had a phone number for how to reach his dad. He grabbed the phone from her and tried getting through. Of course, it didn't work, and it just resulted in more heartbreak for the boy. It's hard to look at Connor and not feel for him. It's also hard to look at Connor and know what he's going through and not be mad at Adam for doing this to him. I'm sure that Connor is thinking, Why would my daddy leave me? That's all he has the capacity to understand is that his father has left him and he doesn't he doesn't know why. Connor just feels abandoned and feeling abandoned is something that Adam never felt. 
even though Adam has all kinds of issues with his father, in Adam's upbringing, he never knew that Victor was his father. Adam always had a dad in Cliff who was there for him. Adam had two parents and a stable home and a, a mostly normal upbringing. Adam left town because he thought that Connor was going to be better off without him. But in trying to save Connor from himself, little does Adam know, he's heaping this whole other world of pain onto his son. And it's a mistake that can't be corrected by Adam just popping back up and saying, oh, okay, I'm back, so everything's fine. So I don't know, in some ways, I feel torn because I think it was wrong for Adam to leave, but I also think maybe it's wrong for him to come back. If Adam comes back now, it's all for naught. Adam would have put Connor through all of this for absolutely no reason, and doesn't, ma- that, doesn't that make him no better than Victor, really, when you think about it? Letting Connor suffer the pain of a lost father unnecessarily? I feel like a terrible person for saying this, but I want Connor to stay a bad seed for a long time. (laughs) I find this entertaining. And I really want to see Connor sabotage Nick's campaign. If Nick is going to run for office. Maybe Connor could be behind the scenes secretly doing something to sabotage him. Maybe Connor feels resentful of Nick's place in Chelsea's life when what he really wants is his own father. Ooh, see, I think that would be juicy. It's not that I don't love Nick or want to see Nick succeed, but wouldn't it be devilishly fascinating to see Connor secretly do something to explain and humiliate Nick. (laughs) I'm terrible. Well, I don't know. I asked you guys last week if Nick should run for public office, and the majority of you said, no, I don't like it. (laughs) 56% said no. Although I will say, I didn't see a single comment telling me why, why you didn't want to see Nick run for office. 44% of you said yes. I voted yes. I don't think we're going to have much choice about it. I think the die has been cast. The ballots have practically been cast. The time of year is perfect. It's nearly November. I think this is happening. All the stars are aligning. We're seeing it. Uh, We had Nick getting a big old hug from one of his New Hope residents this week. And then we saw him meeting with a city councilor who mentioned that there is a spot that is open on the council and encourages him to run for it. I mean, Nick's got people all over telling him that he should run. Elena, Devon, I think... Sharon is probably his number one biggest booster. Sharon is off like printing t-shirts and bumper stickers in the background. She's said to him many times that he should run. And now Nikki's in on it 
too. Nikki encouraged Nick to run for office and also reminded him of the time when she ran for Senate. Do you remember this? Nikki's Senate race against Jack, which, by the way, she lost. Jack ended up winning that race and held the seat just temporarily. But I'm wondering if maybe that's even a little bit of foreshadowing with Nikki and Nick, because Nikki was publicly humiliated during her campaign race, and she lost after some photos, or I think it was, I don't know if it was a photo or video, something came out that showed her locking lips with her campaign manager, David Chow. There's a name from the past, David Chow. So I don't know, maybe it could be the same for Nick. Maybe Connor will expose some kind of dirty little secret of Nick's. Who knows, maybe Adam will encourage Connor to do it. This week, Sharon and Ray rehash and rekindle their love story right as Adam is about to come back to town. Of course. I don't know. Maybe I should just change my opinion on this. I was on board with Sharon and Ray, and then they broke up, and now they're getting back together, and I've been resistant to it. But, you know, if Sharon wants Ray, okay. I'm okay with that, as long as Sharon actually knows what she wants. And above all, I want Sharon to want her own happiness and healthiness, most of all. That's what I want for her. Now, Phyllis seems to think that Sharon is still secretly pining for Adam. I do, too. I thought that those Sharon versus Phyllis scenes at the coffee house this week were fantastic. Mostly because I think there's just something extra special about seeing two enemies going at it. But they're also two people who know each other deeply enough to know which buttons to push. So it's not even just a surface-level snark. They know each other, and they know what to say to get up underneath each other's skin. And Phyllis was picking at Sharon's interests in Adam, pushing that button. And Sharon was shadily psychoanalyzing Phyllis and her need for a friend in Adam. So it was a very interesting conversation. And, you know, I mean, strangely, Adam is the common thread that connects those two. Finally, around about Thursday, someone started to wonder what the heck happened to Kane. <laughs> Phyllis <laughs> made a series of increasingly funny phone calls trying to locate Kane in Vegas. She was calling around, pretending to be his assistant, then pretending to be his wife, even pretending to be his girlfriend. I thought it was funny. <laughs> 
then by Friday, Kane showed back up. He was passed out on a warehouse floor, safe and sound, and conveniently lying right next to his a, a table that had on top of it his cell phone and oh, voila, the original pages of Catherine Chancellor's will. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Which he immediately made a phone call, an ex- seemingly excited phone call to tell Jill all about. I mean, really, Kane? Don't you think that seems suspicious? Maybe like you're being set up. Maybe like you're being used as a tool in someone else's plot. Quite possibly your own father's. I don't know. I just think it would be such a poetic twist if all along Devon is thinking that maybe Tucker switched Catherine's will to try to make him a beneficiary when in reality it was Colin doing the exact same thing for his son Kane. It's too bad we can't just ask Tucker about it, but that ain't going to happen. Tucker has gone off the grid and it sounds like maybe he has gone off his rocker a little bit, too. Tucker was last seen talking to his assistant about how he's afraid that he's getting electromagnetic waves in his head. The electromagnetic waves are getting too much into his brain and stuff. Ooh, yeah. That is a bad place to be. Worried about all those electromagnetic waves? I mean, who hasn't been there? Am I right? (laughs) Oh, no. Devon seems a little bit like maybe his head is fried, too. Um, Elena arranges this faux... Jazz fest inside one of the hotel rooms at the Grand Phoenix so that she and Devon can relax and have some fun and just be romantic. And it was very romantic. It was very slow and sensual. And I know that I've been a little hard on Elena for maybe not being super exciting, but I really liked the chemistry that she had with Devon in that hotel scene. There's just something about Devon and Elena that is slow and sensual and sweet versus, for instance, Devon's relationship with Hillary, which was much more fiery and passionate. I mean, they're just two different types of relationships, and both of them are are very appealing. I found that to be very appealing, um, they're, they were cute together right up until the point that Elena got called away. She got a call to come into work, which I also find very relatable. I like that Elena is a working girl. I mean, we have a sense of her going to her job. Elena later bumps into Amanda at the coffee house, and Elena had a, a, a perfect opportunity to throw a hot to-go cup of coffee onto Amanda, but she did not take it. No, 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 that's not who she is, and I'm going to stop trying to make her be that. But Devon walks in right as Amanda is making that comment to Elena about 
the old jerk that dragged her into this whole mess. And Devon and Elena both question her about it. Who's this old jerk? Can't be chance. He's not old. And Amanda plays it off real quick. She gives them no information. She just says that Chance sounded old on the phone. So was she lying? I want to know what the YNR chatter's sense of who Amanda is is. Do you think that Amanda knows more than she is letting on? Is she scamming? Is she knowingly trying to pull a con right now? Or is she potentially being played? YRChat.com, I want to know what your sense of Amanda is. Is she a scammer? I just, part of me thinks that, no, she's being scammed. Part of me thinks that someone is impersonating Chance and Amanda's not in on the plan. I think maybe Amanda got dragged into whatever this is and now she doesn't want to admit that that's what's happened because her pride is involved. Furthermore, I frankly think that Amanda is Hillary with amnesia. I just do. I think that based on all of the signs and signals we have seen this week... Amanda is going to become involved with Nate. I think she is going to go so far as to get married to Nate. And then it's going to be revealed that she is was really Hillary all along with amnesia. And then while she's, you know, she's now married and in a relationship with Nate, starting to remember the rest of her life, that's going to make it really difficult on Nate and Hillary slash Amanda and Devon and Elena if that's what her true identity is revealed to be. It's already happening. The new love lines are being drawn right before our very eyes. Nate has been getting to know Amanda. He was playing pool with her this week and having drinks And we also saw him defending Amanda to Elena. And Elena made a little snide comment like, yeah, you know, you're defending her. Why? Because she's beautiful? Ooh. Ooh. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, biggest of all, Nate decided to break up with Abby this week. While, by the way, Theo started to sniff around for leftovers. Mm, 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 mm. Well, I don't think that Nate broke up with Abby in any way because of Amanda, but I think that's going to happen. I think Nate broke up with Abby because of himself and because he's mad at himself and he's projecting some of that onto her. I don't know. I mean, he fought so hard to get her. And then they just broke up so very fast. It was a fast and, I guess, mature kind of breakup. I mean, Nate just sat Abby down and explained to her that he feels they were in, they're in two different places. And from Abby's perspective, I'm sure she's thinking, hey, if you don't want to be with me, then fine. Fine. I'll agree with you. I mean, she, she didn't see it coming. 
I don't think she saw it coming at all, and it clearly hurt her very much. Uh, but she has her pride, too, and I think that's why she didn't fight very hard to save the relationship. She just said to him, well, I think you're making a very big mistake. You know, and they both walked away quite cordial. But from Nate's conversation with Elena on Friday, it sounds like maybe Nate is rethinking the whole thing, thinks maybe it was a mistake, and maybe he's going to approach Abby to see if they can work things out. I think they both care about each other. Um, I feel bad for them both. I think they make a fine couple, but admittedly, I kind of prefer my concept <laughs> for the Devon Hillary Nate triangle, which is something that YNR was very clearly building up before Michelle Morgan unexpectedly left the show due to her contract negotiations. Don't you remember the late night doctor exams that Hillary would bop, bop over to Nate's condo for? So I think YNR had that original idea that they wanted to do a Devon Hillary Nate triangle. And now Hillary is back or slash Amanda, whatever it turns out to be, she's back. And so I think YNR just decided to go with that and boot the Nate and Abby thing altogether. So I don't know. I don't know where that's going to leave Elena. Maybe there's someone else out there for her. I'm not really even sure where this is going to leave Abby because Abby and Theo are a terrible idea. It will probably happen, though. Abby has <laughs> textbook bad taste in men, so slimy Theo is going to be right up her alley. Oh, this is so going to happen. <sighs> she is going to be distraught and reboundy, and Theo is going to take full advantage of that. Abby is probably going to be so distracted with the Nate and Theo mess that she is not going to see coming whatever security vulnerability that Phyllis is intentionally creating at the Grand Phoenix Hotel. Now, just as a side note, I don't think that Phyllis is planning to sabotage the hotel. Phyllis has stake, ownership stake in the hotel. So she's not going to do anything that's going to be bad for her own portfolio. I don't even really think that Phyllis knows what she's planning yet. I think that Phyllis is just leaving the door open for herself so that she can slip through and leak some security footage whenever she wants to harm whoever she wants. I cannot believe that after all these weeks, Mr. Rosales shows up now on Lola's doorstep in his aviator glasses with a bruised eye. He's gotten himself into some lady trouble, some trouble with a married lady. Well... Lola immediately tells him to go away. She immediately knows that he is after money. And Lola specifically tells Kyle not to give him any money. So what does Kyle do the moment she turns around and goes to the bathroom? He writes him a check made out to cash. 
I think Kyle is really showing his inexperience and maybe his naivete here. It is never just one check. Oh, you think you're giving him a one-time payoff? No. It's going to keep coming back. The cat now knows where he can get his milk, and he's going to keep coming back for milk. We already know as the audience that Rosales has an angle. We saw him zooming in on a photo of Kyle. We saw the reflection of it in his aviator glasses. So he it was already identifying Kyle as a meal ticket, and he got it. I am so disappointed in Kyle for not listening to what Lola directly told him. Kyle was thinking that he was saving Lola. He didn't want anything to happen to her father and for Lola to feel guilty about it later. I get where Kyle was coming from, but he should have respected Lola's (laughs) direct wishes. I am also, frankly, a little disappointed in Kyle for refusing to leave the bathroom door (laughs) when Lola told him that she was getting sick. (laughs) She's in the bathroom. She's sick. Things are coming out of I don't know how many ends. And Kyle is thinking that he's being all sweet, wanting to be there for her. And I was like, dude, back off. Let the girl lose her guts in peace and privacy, okay? I appreciate the show of strength and support, but some things just need to be done in private, and I was like, go away. (laughs) Oh, I guess maybe it shows that Kyle is going to be ready to help Lola through that awful, awful process of giving birth. I mean... There there are some things you cannot unsee during that whole process. But Kyle and Lola's pregnancy scare turned out to just be that. It was a false alarm, of course. But that false alarm did illuminate a couple of things. It seemed like out of that situation, Kyle and Lola had two different reactions to the possibility that they might be having a baby now. Later that same night, after they found out they weren't pregnant, they both had dreams. And Lola was telling Kyle about her dream, which came off as, you know, sort of happy and bouncing the kids on her knee. And yes, it's a challenge, but she loved the babies. Whereas Kyle's came off maybe as a little bit more of a nightmare, like he was panicky about it. I mean, the guy's got a lot on his plate with work. Throw a couple of kids on that, and it's all hell breaking loose. And... You know, I think ultimately Kyle and Lola, although they had different reactions, came to the same conclusion that yes, we both want kids, but no, now is not the time. And I agree with that. I think that a cola baby would be absolutely adorable. I think that Jack as a grandfather would be absolutely adorable. But for now, you know, I was I was rooting for no baby. I was hoping that Kyle and Lola came to the conclusion that they just need to be young right now and be free right now and just enjoy each other and enjoy exploring their individual careers, too.
Yes, let's leave the baby gang to Mia and Arturo, shall we? We had an announcement this week that Mia and Arturo had their baby. I think it would have been nice to see a picture of them holding the baby, but I know they're not on the show right now. Biggest mistake that this writing team has made. Well, one of them. <laughs> Cutting the two wild childs of the Rosales family was a big, big mistake, especially now that Mr. Rosales is back. Or it almost seems like maybe they just decided to go with him. They just, this is what happened. They decided to cut me on Arturo and bring on Celeste and Adrian instead. And I frankly would rather have Mia than any of the other ones. She was so fantastic and they blew it getting rid of her. Ugh. Well, yeah, Mr. Rosales, he showed up and then he quickly slinked away with his check, but I do not think we've seen the last of him. And I'll tell you another thing. I think that good guy Theo is the one who brought him to town. I bet you that we are going to see a scene between Theo and Adrian any day now. See, Theo is going around town on his apology tour. He was insisting to Summer that he wants to change. He wants to be a better man, telling her everything she wants to hear. He was calling Kyle to tell him about Lola feeling faint at work and then telling Kyle that he wants to try to be bros again, telling him everything he wants to hear. And then he was bringing Lola chicken soup trying to give her what she wants to hear. I'm not buying it. YNR has Theo poised to be a very entertaining villain. And I think only Kyle knows exactly how dangerous Theo can be. I think Kyle is the only one who has the inkling of what kind of trouble Theo is really capable of causing. Did you see how vehemently Kyle told Lola to stay away from Theo? And I don't think that changed just from one action on Theo's part, calling Kyle and saying he wants to be bros again. No, no. Kyle knows there is something deeply wrong there and that Theo can cause him deep trouble. And that's why he was just wickedly angry with Lola for even lightly defending Theo and lightly having any kind of contact with Theo. See, I think Theo is just changing his strategy. He hasn't changed. He's just changing his strategy. He's not whacking Kyle over the head with the whole jealousy competition thing anymore. He's just becoming more subtle. He's going to stand back now and watch Kyle shoot himself in the foot. Because while all of the focus is on Theo and is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Is he changing? Maybe, maybe not. Kyle is going to start to become blind to all of the ways that his relationship, be it working or friendship or other, with Summer are going to start to cause a problem for he and Lola. How about that moment where Kyle was complaining to Lola uh, about the dynamic at Jabot and everything that's going on with Billy. And he made a comment to Lola just offhand that 
only he and Summer really know what it's like to have to prove yourself within the family, to prove yourself within the family company in order to get any respect. Wait a minute. Only you and Summer know about that dynamic? What about your cousin Abby, for instance? Your cousin Abby knows exactly what it feels like on both the Abbott and the Newman side to have to constantly prove yourself within the family and the family company. Abby would have been a way better example to give to your wife. (laughs) Because when Lola heard that comment, the look on her face said, where are my knives? Next week in the previews, it looks like Kyle and Billy are butting heads again. Billy's telling Kyle that he's basically waiting for Kyle to mess up so that he can scoot him out of the way at Jabot. Where did all of this come from? And where did all of Billy's humility and humbleness go? Where did go all of the self-awareness that he had in the boathouse when he had his epiphany a couple of weeks ago? I mean, I like the rivalry. I'm always down for a, a work rivalry, but it's coming out of nowhere. Kyle hasn't done anything to cause this much harshness and competition from his uncle, Billy. And Billy was all about the mea culpas just a few weeks ago. See, Victor text messages Billy this week to tell him he wants to meet with him about, you know, killing Adam. And that was our first clue that, oh, yeah, Victor hasn't forgotten about this. So Billy goes to the ranch, sits down with Victor, has a tequila, and Victor basically just lets Billy off the hook. Says he's not going to tell anyone that Billy tried to kill Adam. So this is setting a bad precedent It's almost like Billy now has some kind of carte blanche to do whatever he wants and get away with it. Billy suffered no consequences for his actions when it came to Adam. So why should he do anything different or less now with Kyle? Is that really the end of it? Is that all Billy's going to get? I don't know. I wonder if Victor is going to continue to keep Billy's secret because we all know that Adam's return is just around the corner. So is Victor going to be compelled to keep Billy's secret then when Adam comes back? Or will Victor (laughs) tell Adam, I don't know, maybe to ingratiate himself with his real favorite son and his real chip off the old block? At first, when I realized that it was a Delia's death anniversary, I was like, no, here we go again. This is the writer who killed Delia, and he can't seem to stop talking about it. 
But, I mean, they did the same thing with Cassie. And the scenes around, you know, Delia's tree and the memorial, it actually did make me cry. I actually did a little bit. (laughs) It was just so beautiful with Billy and Chloe there and Esther and Kevin and even Tracy and Jack showed up and Jack gave a little speech. He does love giving a speech. And he was talking about the tree and the roots that spread underground. I mean, you can't see those roots, but they're there. You know, I mean, there was a, it was, it was a beautiful moment. Do you, I didn't even know that, that tree, it, it was um, filled with beautiful fall foliage. I didn't, I know that at the time when they planted that tree, they said what kind of tree it was. I didn't, didn't get the impression that it was a seasonal tree. It seemed like something different. What was it? Do you guys remember the original planting of Delia's memorial tree? Oh, it's, I, you know, I, I thought it was good that they now showed us that the tree is mid-sized. You know, some time has passed and it had that beautiful golden fall foliage. Um, yes, it was, it was nice. It would be nice... If Billy could have taken a tiny cue from the beauty of that moment, maybe to reinforce the importance of family, which would include his nephew, Kyle. I mean, what was it that Billy was saying just a few weeks ago about how he wanted to raise himself up and be the kind of man that Delia would be proud of? Saving the best for last, a bit of trivia for us. Did you know that Genoa City used to be named Genoa Junction? Okay, I am back in on this journey, Josh Griffith. If you keep giving me juicy pieces of meat like this, tossing something like this onto my doorstep, uh, uh, then we are back in. (laughs) I am going to be thinking about this for the rest of my life, how everything could have been different. Life in Genoa Junction. (laughs) Welcome to Genoa Junction, home of the Genoa Junction Chronicle, the Genoa Junction Athletic Club, and let us not forget G.J. Buzz. (laughs) This is great. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, everything else about this story, I think I could could leave. (laughs) But Genoa Junction, that is here to stay. Well, this week, Jack got a call that Dina got hurt. And so he goes to get her. He takes her out to a little lunch at society. And she's still very despondent. But she mumbles something about a newspaper man named Stuart who had such beautiful eyes. She was just sort of, you know, thinking about him longingly, whoever this was. I don't know. Are we sure that she's talking about a newspaper magnet 
here. The assumption is that it's Stuart Brooks, but I'm not convinced that it wasn't just the paper boy. You know, Stuart, the paper boy, who would come around every day and <laughs> deliver deliver more than Dana's morning newspaper. <laughs> just a guess. I don't know. No, I mean, she said newspaper man, not paper boy. So I guess we got to go <laughs> with it. So we have a new piece of our puzzle. Tracy latches right onto this, and she makes a phone call to Laura and Leslie Brooks to get more information on what Dina's connection to Stuart might be. These new writers love to do this. They love to reference some old character off screen, make you think for just a minute that maybe you're going to see them. Hello, Chance. Chance. But then it turns out to just be a reference, and that's all you get. This is part of their style, because I did for a minute think, oh, well, you know, Laura and Leslie were back for the uh, Genoa City alumni party, Walnut Grove alumni party, and I thought, well, maybe they're bringing them back again, but no. We're never going to see them, and we're never going to see Chance. But Tracy did manage to um, get an email from Laura and Leslie. They were able to dig into Stuart's archives and send Tracy a copy of a cryptic letter that was penned from Dina to Stuart back in the old days. The letter (laughs) was not only cryptic, but it was stained in tears, no less. Oh, what's that all over this letter? Do you see that? Zoom, zoom, zoom. What is that? Looks like water. Must be tears! There's a leap of logic. The letter read, in part, quote, I must be cruel only to be kind. Thus bad begins and worse remains behind. Ugh. YNR wanted to make me do research on this one, I think, and I refused to do it. I got as far as to uncover that this line is from Shakespeare's play, Hamlet. But that is as far as I get, and that's as far that's as far as I'm going to go. I am not even going to attempt <laughs> to <laughs> decode what on earth that must mean. I must be cruel only to be kind, thus bad begins and worse remains behind. Mm. I'm going to let you guys do all of the sleuthing on what the heck that means in a little bit later in the comment section. I just feel so exhausted by it. By all, for I just feel all, so exhausted from all of the speculation last year about Dina and what her life must have been. The only thing I can say is I really wish we'd find out that Stuart and Dina had a love child. And his, the, the, what love child was given up for adoption. And then we find out that his name was Graham Bloodworth. And oh yeah, he's still alive. <laughs> I just am still waiting for all roads to lead back to Graham. 
I always see that actor in various commercials. He's got a couple. One of them is a Humera commercial. He is actually in the same commercial that uh, the actor who played Reed was in. So Reed and Graham are in a Humera commercial together. <laughs> what a weird world. Ugh, I miss him. I miss Graham and his sexy sleeveless tank top workout wear. He was a silver fox. <laughs> well, speaking of foxes, there's one in the hen house. Watch out, Tracy. Don't trust him, Tracy. I don't like it. And I am worried. Mr. Rosales, you just keep your slimy hands off of my Tracy. <laughs> Oh, nah, I should just lighten up. This actually could be a good story for Tracy. Tracy is no fool, okay? Unlike Sharon, Tracy knows how to make decisions that are healthy for herself. Tracy knows that she needs to put herself first, even if that means turning down the hot man who's into her, a la Kane. Tracy knows how to choose herself, so you know what? It, now that I think about it, I'm all for it. I'd like to see Tracy chew this guy up and spit him back out. Hey, have you ever thought about starting a cult? Well, you should, if your name is Theo. That was our Who Said It? Quote from last week, have you ever thought about starting a cult? <laughs> it was a little bit of a trick question because I had a feeling that I was going to throw a few of you off and think uh, into thinking that it was Mariah who said it. But no, it was Lola. She said that to Theo uh, as she was explaining, as he was telling her how good he is at getting inside of people's heads. But I knew that that was a line that you guys would think came from Mariah because she also had a little sit-down talk with Theo. But no, answers Lola and Henry, Astra, Sherrod, TB84, Martha, Brenda08, Tinicole, Sherry, Keisha, Jillian, and Diana were not fooled by my trickery. So congratulations, you guys all got it right. You know, I this quote for some reason hit me this week. Life gives heavy doses of the unexpected. That's true, right? It's kind of another way of saying that, that expect the unexpected, because it's coming. Life gives heavy doses of the unexpected. It's a real quick comment. I don't know if you guys are going to guess it, but if you think you can, go to yrchat.com. And if you do get it right, then I will give you your shout out on next week's YNR Chat. Okay, comments, comments, comments. Daisy says, even though Adrian is a user, I think it'll be interesting to see he and Tracy start dating. Hopefully, though, Tracy would be shown as a strong woman who would kick Adrian to the curb if he was not sincere. 
But even though that's likely, I'd still like to see Tracy go on a few dates, maybe even start a relationship. Adrian might not be as bad as his daughter believes he is. Oh, Daisy, I have no doubt that Tracy would kick him to the curb. I mean, I, I think Tracy is self-assured, very much so at this point in her life. So I can't see her getting manipulated, honestly. But I do think that this situation with Adrian is YNR's answer to the people who were sad to see Tracy's relationship with Kane fizzle. I think that YNR knows viewers like Tracy. And so they they decided to give her give this to her instead. And as you say, I think it's a very good point. Uh, and if we've learned anything from the story with Jack and Dina, maybe Adrian is not as bad as his daughter believes he is. Maybe Lola, Ray, Arturo, they all viewed him through the lens of the father who abandoned the family. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the apple is all bad. It's possible. Well... Leslie's outraged this week, says they moved the Abbott kitchen and I don't like it. To the left, when you come in the front door, instead of behind the living room, Tracy came walking from that direction with the drinks and Kyle went that way to see Mr. Mrs. Martinez or whatever he was going off to the kitchen for. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Leslie, but that is a really, now that you say it, I can't unsee it. All of the mentions of going to the Abbott kitchen made them exit and enter through that foyer as you go left. When you you come in the front door and then you hang a left and that's how people were going to the kitchen. Okay, but what if maybe there's like a long corridor or something that goes to the kitchen? That could be okay because otherwise this is a big problem. (laughs) Gary says, Leslie, this is outrageous. And you have to ask yourself, with so many backstagers concerned with continuity, how does this happen? Now is the time to make a big stink about it. YNR has some explaining to do. Definitely this is the issue of the week. <laughs> oh, that is funny. You know what? I bet that they um, they probably just have closed off those double doors. That's You used to go from living room to Abbott dining to kitchen. And now they just have that whole double door closed off and nobody enters and exits through there. They built that little foyer, that off to the left of the front door foyer that we're talking about, just not even that long ago. That's only been there a couple of years. I remember that popping up and me thinking, hmm, that's, that wasn't there before. So they must have built that as a way to keep our Abbott mansion up and maybe a little more compact. Or I don't know how they go about arranging the sets, but it is one of the most fascinating parts of the show to me. I love the sets. So you're right that if they ch- if, they're, if they're changing the continuity of where that kitchen is, I'm outraged. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think maybe there's a corridor. Maybe it's a hallway that's a different way to the kitchen. <laughs> Let's go with that so we can keep our sanity. Definitely the issue of the week. Other issue of the week, which Leslie mentions, Jack is not old enough to be a grandfather. He's old enough to be a great grandfather. (laughs) That was a really funny moment where Kyle 
faked out Jack into thinking maybe he was about to be a grandfather, and Jack's reaction was, I'm not old enough to be a grandfather. That was funny. It was a really good joke, and Peter Bergman had a perfect delivery on it. I was delighted. That was a good moment, and I'm glad you mentioned it. Well, Daisy, weighing in on Dina's secret here, says, we'll we'll let this kick off our speculation as to Dina's secret. Daisy says, I think Dina said, such beautiful eyes, Stuart. So I wonder if this storyline is a lead into Dina and Stuart Brooks having a child in high school And being the times that they were, Dina may have chosen to give her child up for adoption, which would only have required her her signature. And that would have caused Stuart a lot of pain, as he's likely to have wanted to raise their child. And then a lifelong rift between the two, that could explain the letter. Jack might just have an older sibling out there somewhere. If this is true, I wonder if this person could be a new character or someone we already know. Hmm. Yes. I mean, I could see it. It sounds like the implication is that Dina and Stuart were friendly in high school because they were talking about classes. So it's absolutely possible that there was a pregnancy and she went off. She ch- sounds like she went off to, I don't know where she went off to. Sorry, I blipped out during that. But it's certainly possible that even at that early age, she was uh, choosing to, uh, you know, not raise the family or wanting to give the child away so that she could go and pursue her career and her studies. Um, that would make sense. But I like the idea that it could mean there's another Abbott sibling Again, that might be a callback to another story it seemed like they were establishing last year. I really thought that Graham was going to turn out to be the child of Dina and a sibling of the Abbots, and they decided to snake around into another direction, but maybe they're going to bring that back, and as you say, give Jack and Ashley and Tracy another sibling, and if that's the case, who be it? Don't know. Someone we know or someone uh, new? Laura says, how about this? Dina and Stuart's baby was put up for adoption, and he or she gives birth to Theo. In this way, the storyline for John Abbott and Jack's generation doesn't get rewritten, but maybe it's the prequel to The Young and the Restless unfolding before our eyes. Ooh. Hmm. I like it. I like it because then, as you say, it's not rewriting Jack's generation. It's establishing the new generation. And would that make Theo and Kyle kind of related to war over Lola and possibly even Jabot? Who knows? Ooh, I like it. Laura, I like it. Gary says, physically speaking, Theo... Looks like he might be Stuart Brooks' son. The actor um, Robert Colbert is who played Stuart Brooks. Check it out. Gary says both men have an unsoap opera-like roundish face and larger frames than the typical chiseled soap star. Mark my words, it's a match. Actually, don't mark my words, but it's a Y in our chat submission that could possibly pay off. Oh, yes, Gary, it did. I looked up 
um, uh, what's his name? Robert Colbert googled some images of him so that I knew kind of what he looked like from when he was on YNR. But yeah, I see it. The round face. You guys should do a little Google search. Robert Colbert. I could see him being related to Theo. Absolutely. Hey, Keisha says, I've seen the man cast to play Theo's dad. Handsome man. I'm wondering if Dina had another child the Abbots don't know about. Could Theo be the Mergeron heir? Could that be the big shocking secret Jack and Tracy find that will change their lives forever? Ooh. I mean, we did have Kyle walking right into the middle of Tracy and Jack's research scene. It could be a hint that Theo is going to be the pot at the end of this rainbow, in which case, all right, I'm here. Okay, this is where we're going. I'm happy with it. Hey, by the way, you said that about um, um, seeing the guy who was cast to play Theo's dad. So, of course, I had to go Google search that. I never get these updates. I didn't know that, Keisha, until you said it. So thank you for bringing it up because I'm over here relying on CBS Soaps and Depths which should be the authority for anything casting, and then it's never the authority on casting. Where do you hear about this stuff? It makes me so mad that I'm always the last to know, but Soaps.com is reporting that John Brittle will be joining the cast in the role of Eric Vanderway. His appearance will be on Thursday, November 7th, and he'll presumably be playing an older member, uh, an older family member of Theo Vanderway, who's been causing trouble on the Genoa city scene. Mm-hmm. Yay! Theo's dad! See, that to me is a good sign that they're continuing to develop Theo. What has he said about his father? No, wait, it can't be Theo's father. Theo's father is dead, supposedly. So, ooh, this is good. Either it's not Theo's dad, it's like Theo's uncle, but, you know, that's not interesting. If Theo's dad is being cast, that means that whole yarn that he spun with Summer about how his dad died when he was, like, 14 was a lie. Ooh. This just got more interesting. Oh, November 7th. Ooh, that will be November sweep. So, ooh, I'm looking forward to that. Thank you, Keisha, for that heads up. <laughs> Theo is sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. And Brenda08 says, how did Theo know that Kyle wasn't there when he brought the soup to Lola and how did he get up there without the code? Is Theo stalking them? And Zuperplex adds to that, uh, Theo has Lola's phone number? Mm-hmm. I don't know if those are just uh, plot inconsistencies or, you know, continuity inconsistencies, but they're really good points. How is Theo so close to Lola already? Sherrod says, Allie, I see that you adore Theo, but I see him as a predator. As Lola stated, too much charm for his own good. Devon was correct to let him go. He twice went after Mariah's job, even after being warned the first time by Devon. Also, he's now made sexual advances to Tessa and Lola. 
I think he's the sort of man who gets in his own way, blames others when they call him out, and then justifies his bad behavior by saying the world's against him. Also, I disagree about the Adam comparison. For Adam, it was not about being accepted by his father, but for Theo, it's more about getting back at people who he believes look down on him. Yeah, I think that YNR has brought Theo on to be a villain. Maybe he'll turn out to be related, maybe not. But I think YNR always had the intention of having the character of Adam have staying power, which I can't exactly say for Theo. But Adam was also a pretty bad dude when he first came on the show. I mean, the things that Adam, for instance, was doing right at the beginning, uh, gaslighting Ashley, making her fall down the stairs, miscarrying the baby, uh, then stealing Sharon's baby and giving that to Ashley to replace, making Sharon think she'd had a miscarriage and going insane. Like, the stuff that Adam was pulling at the very beginning of his run on the show in the Chris Engen years is way worse than anything that Theo is doing now. But I think you make a really good point, Sherrod, that that Theo is a predator. I mean, I think I enjoy him from a uh, dramatic villain kind of perspective. I don't want to hang out with him. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to hang out with Theo. (laughs) I wouldn't let him through my front door. I just think he's making good TV. But you make a good point that, you know, even even though I think that's the case uh, of him being entertaining, what he's doing is predatory. Tiffany says, Theo seems right up Abby's alley. Skeevy, check. Sketchy, check. Up to no good, check. Bound to hurt Abby, check. No good for Abby, check. And generally gives douchey, untrustable vibes. Triple check. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, Abby's going to go for this. This He is exactly her type. No doubt about it. But, you know, we got to make sure we remember that Theo is untrustworthy. Us, if, we, if we cannot be lulled, me, I'm talking to myself because you guys aren't having this problem. But I cannot allow myself to be lulled into a false sense of security when it comes to Theo. Sherrod is right because November 7th is going to roll around and his father's going to show up on screen. And we're going to realize that that whole thing that he was, ta- his whole like poor me, my dad died vibe was a complete and total lie, which is a whole nother level <laughs> of messed up. But entertaining though. Gotta say. <laughs> Exciting, you know, it gets my juices flowing when it's like, ooh, ooh, drama. Jamie says, I cannot help but be frustrated by Nate. He's been confiding in Elena, confiding in this Hillary doppelganger and anyone else. And, you know, he was also a part of this scandal. Don't act like you thought the Newmans were some moral high ground. You helped Victor lie just like everyone else. Yeah, it's like Nate is trying to extricate himself now. Now that it went wrong, now he's not okay with it. 
You know, I mean, he did go along with it. And I think he's projecting his own disappointment in himself right onto Abby. These two should be helping each other through it. They should be having honest conversations about it. You know, why isn't Abby helping him to see, you know, trying a little harder to help him see and hold him accountable for his role in it. And why is Nate seeing Abby as like someone who pulled him into it when he made the decision himself? It's a good point. And I hope you get well soon, Jamie. Oh my. Daisy says, well, if it looks like Abby and Nate broke up, maybe this is the door opening for Amanda and Nate to get together and a reason for Amanda to stay in town. Okay, this is a really important point, Daisy, because if Amanda's only in town for this case and the case doesn't pan out, I mean, and Devon was trying to offer her to, you know, a way out. Devon approached Amanda this week and said, let me help you get a way out and go away. That's what I want. I want you to go away. Let me help facilitate you going away. So Amanda's going to need a reason to stay in town. And a relationship with Nate is exactly that. That's what's happening. That's why Nate and Abby broke up. Because the writers know that we got to create a reason to keep her around. She's going to hook up with Nate. And it's going to be very awkward for Devon. (laughs) Well, Knowing that she's not going anywhere and she's now in their circle. And he's going to be forced to hang out. I mean, Nate is family. Devon and Nate are family. So Thanksgiving, Christmas. Amanda's going to be sitting at the table and he's not going to not be able to think about Hillary. (laughs) Elena's being real cool about it now, but it's going to continue to be a problem. Look how frazzled Devon is. He was yelling at some poor employee this week. I mean, he's thrown off his game right now. Devon is usually very cool, calm, and collected. And right now, we're starting to see signs of him lashing out. He's lashing out at Jill last week, lashing out at an employee this week. This whole Amanda Hillary thing, it's getting up under his skin. Daisy also says, imagine that you go to court and tell a judge that you were hit over the head, then left unconscious in a room you've never seen before. And when you woke up, you find the newly brought to light, actual, real, original will of which you happen to be named as a beneficiary of a billions of dollars on, sitting right on top of the lone table in this room that you were thrown into. I can't imagine that any judge would give this scenario credence, not to mention that the two men who allegedly knew of and found this alleged true will, Chance and Tucker, are both missing. I hope that Devon alerts Paul. (laughs) Yeah, okay, I got to pause there because I'm so with you, Daisy. This is my... (laughs) That that was my reaction to that whole thing, too. Like, this is dumb, and Kane, you're being dumb. (laughs) But Daisy also says, where's Lily? Lily loves her brother, so her absence makes me think that she's with Chance and Tucker, kidnapped and held captive by... Connor and a co- uh, Colin and the cohorts. Yes, Colin and the cohorts, not Connor. <laughs> it actually does say Connor. You did type Connor or autocorrect it to Connor. So there, I love the idea that Connor's holding Lily hostage. That's hilarious. 
but just to clarify what you meant uh, is uh, that maybe Lily is being held captive with Chance and Tucker kidnapped and held captive by Colin and the cohorts. <laughs> oh, the notion of little Connor kidnapping Lily is going to sail me off to sleep tonight, though. So that's worth it. Uh, yes, yeah, so we know Lily's coming back. Uh, we, I mean, yeah, she could be being held hostage for all we know. Uh, Crystal Khalil has definitely filmed her scenes. And in fact, I don't, I think she filmed some scenes with Kane because I did see that they posted to Instagram. Daniel Goddard and Crystal Clear posted a photo together uh, of them on Instagram filming those scenes. So it sounds like that's that she is going to be interacting with him. Uh, but I don't know what her role in all of this is. Gary makes a fantastic point by saying he had to watch the previews three separate times to catch what Devon was saying at the tail end. Uh, Elena was saying how he needs to contact somebody who knows Catherine and Kane. Someone who knows Catherine and Kane better than anybody. And Devon is responding... Lily. And Gary says, since when is Lily a Catherine Chancellor expert? Thank you. That was the exact same reaction that I had. And I actually had to go back and re-listen to that too because I was thinking, okay, all right. I will buy that Lily is a Kane Ashby expert, no doubt. But Catherine Chancellor? She didn't really have that much of a connection. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a stretch. Well, speaking of stretches, Sandra says, I feel like we're watching too many storylines at the moment. We're not really getting into the meat and bones of anything, really, except maybe the research for the Abbott book. It's like every day we touch on several different storylines, but just on the surface. We didn't need Adrian to come back and spend time watching him when we could have delved deeper into, let's say, the money laundering scheme or Theo and Kyle calling a truce or the whole situation with Devon and the will. I love YNR, but I'm just not enjoying the format right now. Sandra, I think it's slower. I think that's the thing. I, do, I agree. I really do. I think that they are trying to do a little too much overall and maybe not focusing enough on uh, as much detail. I agree 100% with you on this. It's a slower pace for sure. It's just so much different than what we had last year, for instance. Marion says, I have to admit, this is the reason that I like YNR more than Bold and the Beautiful, but also the reason why I tend to be more faithful watching B&B in the long run than with YNR. I feel too that YNR is requiring a lot as far as attention to scripts and storylines are concerned, but that makes it a top quality soap, whereas B&B is more of a junk food type of soap, as Allie put it once. When you run in to what you don't want and you don't have to relax, you can relax, uh, and don't have to think too much while watching television. They tend to get to the core of each storyline quicker. If it drags on, you quickly gather how it'll end up. But the downside is that you only get the same actors on. Over at YNR, you have a choice for what you like and want to follow, and the actors stand a greater chance to staying on the show. Huh, yeah, I know. I think that it's, it's a... It's a 
it's a double-edged sword. It can be a good thing or a bad thing when it comes to the show. But um, yeah, I, I think it is a lot. Like for instance, Kane was the cliffhanger on last Friday's show and we didn't see him again, didn't hear a thing again from him until this Friday. So it is, it's, it's dragon. And I have to say, I stopped watching Bold and the Beautiful. It was, and because it was dragging out on a particular storyline. Like on Bold and the Beautiful, they, if they drag it out too long, you're just dying because there is nothing else. They only focus on one to two stories at the same time. And if you don't happen to like those stories, it is a slug getting through it. Ellen says, quick, Victoria, sit for a wickedly severe oil portrait of yourself and hang it right next to Victor's. <laughs> I was wondering that too. She was taking a look in her new office up at Victor's oil portrait and you know she was thinking about getting her own up there. And why not sit for it on the same day that she was wearing that little black outfit with the white collar looking like a nun or as Anna says hello is this Victoria Victoria Newman hi yes it's Wednesday Adams calling <laughs> she wants her look back <laughs> see Anna I went with nun or priest but you saying that Victoria looked like Wednesday Adams in that outfit she had on this week is a total nail on the head. I decided to model my outfit this week uh, on that. I said to myself, do I have anything in my closet that could at all resemble Victoria in that white collar? I didn't. I didn't have a whole heck of a lot to choose from, but that was the outfit of the week. <laughs> if you don't if you don't remember it, go to yrchat.com and look at Victoria's outfit. Wednesday Adams, all she needed was the two braids. <laughs> well, shifting on over. Tina Cole says, I think we will have a Sharon Ray Nick love triangle coming up. And I'm all for Sharon and Nick. Yeah, I'm wondering about that too. Because Sharon seems to be doting a lot of attention on Nick and also on Ray. And the implication is that she is over Adam. So it's possible that Nick and Chelsea are going to end up breaking up. I mean, Chelsea had her big forgiving of Nick moment this week. But who knows how long that's going to last. They are probably going to end up breaking up again. And yeah, I think a Nick, Sharon, Ray triangle is totally possible. Laura says, so cringy conversation about having babies. Ray wants them, except he guesses he doesn't. What's Sharon supposed to say? Hi, Ray. I'll have all your babies. Just come over to my lair. I mean my house. <laughs> yeah, Sharon and Ray, I don't think they know what they want of each other. I, don't, I still don't know if they're on the same page, but Laura says it's, it's a missed opportunity. Sharon Case is in her late 40s, but she could easily pass as 40. Here is a, is a fertility struggle storyline sorely missed. She and Ray could struggle to conceive and then have a baby. No twins. If Ray says, baby, let's make a baby, Sharon will say, I'm game. She's easy to persuade as long as you choose the right angle with your argument. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I can see it. I want something good for Sharon. I don't want to see Sharon dragged through the mud. That's my only requirement for her right now, just something happy. 
TB84 says, I loved the Delia tribute. It was beautiful and subtle. I loved everyone who gathered there and even the hands holding. It was peaceful and very nice. Yes, I know. I, I surprisingly liked the Delia tribute as well. I mean, I'm glad that they do remember her. I'm glad that uh, they haven't, that Weiner hasn't just decided to kill off Connor or Christian in the same way. Diana says, Connor locking Christian in the garage was really bad. Poor Christian. Connor has probably traumatized the boy. It happened to me as a kid when I was about six or seven years old. A girl invited people in the neighborhood to watch a short film on a big movie screen in her garage. And when the show was over, everyone left and she trapped me inside and shut the big garage door. I remember banging on it so scared, telling her to let me out. I don't think I was in there very long, but it was very scary and it was very dark and you don't know when they're gonna let you out. I will never forget that until the day I die. Oh my gosh, Diana, that is awful. I feel so bad for making light of it, but that is really awful. Why? Did you get the sense that she didn't like you? Or is, some people are just cool. That's what it, you know, it's just like, as I evolve further in the universe, I realize that some people just are cruel. Uh, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Gosh. Well, um, I don't even have anything to compare it to, but I mean, this feeling of being trapped is awful, awful, awful. Um, Diana goes on to say, I am very glad that Nick is going to Vegas to talk to Adam, but I think Chelsea should go as well. I think it would be more impactful if they both went. I also wonder what Nick is going to say to Adam. I don't know if I trust Nick. Why does he want to go alone? I hope Nick's intentions are good, but I can't say for sure. Oh, okay, well this is interesting, Diana, that maybe Nick is going to, he's, maybe he's playing lip service to Chelsea and he is gonna go to Vegas, but not necessarily to bring Adam home. Maybe he's gonna tell him to further stay away because Nick wasn't happy about the idea of bringing Adam back for Connor's sake. Nick feels strongly that Connor's better off with Adam gone. I don't know. Ellen says, many, many Chelsea questions. Did Chelsea grieve for Calvin for even five minutes? Was there ever a service, a funeral for her beloved husband? Are we to believe that her marriage to him was the reason she didn't want a life with Adam, who was supposedly the original true love of her life? Moving on. Yesterday, she was furious at Nick for his lies, but today they are a perfect family of four with Adam's two sons, no less. Is this supposed to be heartwarming? Why wouldn't Nick be suspicious of her sudden changes of heart? Does Chelsea actually have a heart or is she looking for a convenient place to land? And now she's already inherited millions. Why risk money laundering to get the extra money? Why not just stash it somewhere? Is she that greedy? I thought she cared about Connor. Why take that legal risk? She's very confusing to me. Oh, I didn't even think about the fact that her taking the risk with the money laundering is putting Connor in danger. I don't think Weiner's done a very good job at developing Chelsea, frankly. I don't think they've done a very good job at developing Adam. I mean, you didn't find it heartwarming to see Chelsea and Nick being their happy family of four. I mean, are we supposed to think it's gonna be heartwarming when Adam comes back to reunite with Connor? I mean, he left him. Ugh. It's 
a mess. I don't think YNR, I don't think this regime of YNR has done a very good job at all of really digging into those specific characters. Some people are done really well, but I, I do think that Chelsea and Adam are two good examples of let's bring these characters back from dead or from beyond and on the run, but let's not put all that much effort into explaining them. Yeah. Well, about the poll for uh, Nick running for office, again, I didn't see any comments telling me why you didn't want to see him run, but Astra says she voted yes. Why not? I'm super excited about it. I wouldn't mind seeing it play out. I wonder if Nick will be uncontested and we'll just see how he handles things in office, or will someone else be an opponent and dig up all of Nick's past dirt? The latter sounds more interesting. Yeah, okay, this is good because if it's an open seat, will Nick just run uncontested and then boom, he's a city councilman? Well, there's a missed opportunity of, of all missed opportunities if he just gets the seat and doesn't have to run for it. But really interestingly, Astor goes on to add uh, uh, that Chelsea's money laundering scheme is probably going to mess up Nick's chances of being in office. Ooh! Yes! I think that's probably a much more likely culprit for what might embarrass Nick on his campaign trail. And I wonder if Phyllis's security footage is going to somehow play into that. I mean, Chelsea is having conversations with Kevin about the money laundering. Phyllis is probably going to catch that and release it and it'll destroy Nick's uh, career. Hmm. I kind of like it. Although the Connor thing, I think, would be good, too. <laughs> well, let's wrap up here by talking about y'all's top three characters that are making you tune into the show right now. I got a lot of responses on this. I think it's interesting that while we are criticizing uh, Chelsea, that both Diana and TB84 had Chelsea listed in their top three like characters to watch right now. So that is really interesting to, you know, I mean, it's like certain characters it, you love, certain characters you don't love, and there's a lot of characters that get a lot of talking about. And then here we go. We had two people that actually are really liking Chelsea right now and are connecting with Chelsea right now. So that makes me happy to see. I also thought it was interesting that uh, Shakona had mentioned Victoria in the top three. Because for me, Victoria is just like right way down. Uh, she's just not getting a whole lot uh, of reasons for me to really connect with her and love her. And I'm still kind of turned off by the, the blackmail-y thing she did with Victor in the chair. Uh, but it's great to know that Victoria is someone who is making you tune in. There were quite a few Sharon boosters. You got to give it to that old long-term Sharon. Still pulling in the viewers. I think that's really, really good to hear. And Tracy! I think YNR is hearing that a lot of fans like Ch Tracy are tuning in for Tracy, and that's why they're giving us some story for her. Uh, Lynn4283 had her top three as Devon, Elena, and Amanda. And I gotta agree with you here. This this is one of those things that I want to see more of. Um, they they are tune-in-able. Uh, and I think, you know, to Sandra's point earlier of there being so many stories and not a whole lot being touched on, this is something I need to touch on. I want to get into Devon and Elena and Amanda like in a micro-focused way. And I wish YNR would get to it and really shine a light on those three because they are fascinating. 
Um, Tony has a good one. She put Billy in her top three because he's a really good actor in light of the heavier scenes um, with any other character. So yes, this is good too. It's like Billy, a little bit controversial right now. I like when I have, uh, you know, m you know, the characters that I tend to focus on and maybe even say the same things about every single week, but it's interesting to know that Tony's loving Billy and the fact, you know, he is a good actor given whatever uh, material they give him to work with. I gotta say, little Connor got a surprising number of mentions <laughs> this week in the top threes, even before the Friday show and the Christian and uh, uh, the bad seed stuff even really started taking root. A lot of people putting Connor in their top threes, and y'all can just consider me in on that. Okay, everybody. It's time for me to hit the road and, and, and drive on out of Genoa Junction. <laughs> but I will be back here next week doing it all over again. So I hope you join me. Hope you go to yrchat.com to leave me some comments throughout the week and come back next Sunday and we'll pick up where we left off. Okay, everybody. I love ya. Have a good one.